This is John Finnemore's Souvenir Programme. Hello, Rome HQ, working for a Roman tomorrow. Hello, Romulus dear, is that you? Oh, hi, Mum. Are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. How are you? Uh, pretty busy with, you know, Rome. <laughs> I mean, it's fairly well established now, but what we're finding is that that's when the real work begins. That's wonderful. We're all so proud of you, Romulus, especially your brother. <laughs> Remus? I don't think so. Of course he is. It's just hard for him, you know, with Rome such a success. He always feels like he's in your shadow. In fact, that's what I'm calling about. I want you to give Remus a hand. A hand with what? You know what. Oh, Mum. Is this about Reem? <laughs> he showed me the plans for it again yesterday. It's a really good idea for a city. He just needs a little leg up. Mum, Reem is never going to happen. It's a fantasy. Well, not some help. No. Not under any circumstances. If he wanted a city, he should have started when I did. But he was too busy bumming around Illyria, playing his loot. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's too late now. Rome wasn't Yes, built... yes, so you always say. <laughs> I'm not asking you to do it for him. All I'm asking is for you to have a word in a few ears. But, Mum, it's a terrible idea for a city. I mean, huge parts of it are just ripped off from Rome anyway. And the bits he's changed he's made worse. It's not going to be a better city because it's built on eight hills. <laughs> works. Well, then help him. Show him where he's gone wrong. Don't listen to me. He thinks I'm an evil corporate sellout just because I put in prisons and banks. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, but try running a city without them. If you actually want to make a city work, you've got to serve your inhabitants. When in Rome... Yes, I know. <laughs> you won't help him at all. Oh, don't make it sound like that, Mama. I would help him, but it'll never work. If only because all the infrastructure's been set up for Rome now. There's no room for Reem. Why not? <laughs> Well, for a start, all roads lead... I see. <laughs> well, Romy, I've listened to your objections, and I do understand, but I'm putting my foot down. I want you to do whatever you need to do to help your brother make Reem happen. Do I make myself clear? Why should I? Because I'm your mother. And if I don't? Well, then I'll just have to tear you to pieces with my mighty she-wolf jaws. <laughs> You're not my real mum. I heard that. <laughs> Absolute quiet now, please. Oh. <laughs> Transcendent spirits of the world beyond world, I come open-handed and in peace. Is there anybody there? Yes, there is. Hello. <laughs> I'm the late Marcus Trent. Could you put me through to my daughter, please? <laughs> is there anybody there? Yes, hello. Uh, Marcus Trent for Jennifer Wilkinson, seat D8. Ah! Someone is trying to make contact. Speak to us. Oh, spirits, what is your name? I told you my name. Marcus Charles Trent. Lately of 19... I'm getting the letter... The letter W. What? Where from? The, <laughs> w or, or possibly V. Definitely the second half of the alphabet. No, M. Marcus, what's the matter with you? To whom do you wish to speak, oh, spirit? To whom? <laughs> uh, uh, Jenny, please. I'm... I'm getting a J. Yes, a J and an E, two ends and a Y. Jenny! Oh, or it might be a, a G. Oh, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Is there a J or a G in the room? Uh, my name's Jenny. Oh, well done. Give the girl a prize. Jenny! Jennifer, over here. Yes! He's saying Jenny. He's nodding and smiling. Well, one out of three. Uh, OK, can, <laughs> can we get Jenny a mic? Now, you've had a bereavement recently, haven't you, Jenny? Yes, my, my father, Marcus. Marcus, yes. 
M from the second half of the alphabet. It's not even. <laughs> it's, it's 13th letter, it's first half. Marcus, do you have a message for Jenny? Well, obviously I do. Jenny, stop selling my books on eBay, you ninny. There's some extremely valuable first editions there. If you must sell them... He wants you to know he's very happy. Oh, you keep out of this. <laughs> and he says, when you look up at the stars, look for the brightest one, and that's where he'll be. Smiling down on you. Thank you. Really? Is that what I said? Is it? And how come I can suddenly speak in paragraphs when a minute ago I was picking Scrabble tiles out of a bag? <laughs> You're a fraud, aren't you? You're a nasty little cheat. Uh, he's growing fainter now. Charlatan! I'd haunt you for this, but you wouldn't even notice. Oh. Oh, oh but there, there's one more thing. Don't forget to kiss the equal nosy of every kitten you ever do see. Something about... Books. He's saying, don't sell his books on eBay. Oh. He's saying, it's a waste of time. They're only cheap book club editions. They're worthless. What? <laughs> He's saying you might as well give them to Walt Samuel. Oh. oh, no, that is embarrassing. What? Yes, what? Well, he... <laughs> He knows I like old books. Oh, well, if you'd like them. No! No, no, I, I couldn't possibly. No, you couldn't possibly! No, no, take them. It's the least I can do after you reunited us. Well, that's very generous of you, thank you. And yes, your father is smiling and he's chuckling as he fades. You sneaky little sod! <laughs> Goodbye, Marcus. Rest in peace. <laughs> My name is Joe, and I work here in the zoo. Head keeper of small mammals here since 1992. For years I've loved my job here, for years it's all been fine. Till something started happening in roundabout 09. So I'm asking you directly, for the sake of my composure, if there's one thing you could bear in mind when you get to my enclosure. When you see a meerkat, don't say simples. When you see a meerkat, don't say simples. I know it was funny when it first entered your brain. But not when you hear it again and again and again. Good joke, and it's greatly to your credit, but you're not quite the first who said it, and between you and me, it's driving me slightly insane. <laughs> when you see a meerkat, don't say simples. When you see a meerkat, don't say simples. No matter how flawless your Russian accented squeak, I fear that your comedy brainwave is not quite unique. Many others compare the meerkat I keep the score on this old beer Matt is 30 this morning and 107 this week <laughs> So when you see a meerkat, don't say simples It's a good joke, but it brings me out in pimples Excuse me, may I join you? By all means. In the old days, there would have been need for some ludicrous passphrase, perhaps. I doubt it. 
We never went in for those as much as was thought. Mr. Avdeyev. Mr. Frenick, a great pleasure at last. Indeed. I often used to wonder about this day, you know, whether once the great game had been played out, the players would have the opportunity to shake hands across the board. <laughs> and congratulate ourselves, perhaps, that the deadliest pieces were never played. The RDSs. Trident. The ICBMs. The Thompson Pulse. I beg your pardon? The Thompson Pulse. What is that? Come, Dimitri. You and I are too old to dance. I've... <laughs> I really have no idea what you mean. Well, no doubt you rechristened your version. I'm speaking, as well you know, of the vast undetectable electromagnetic pulse that, whilst harmless to humans, would have reduced all metal within a radius of a thousand kilometers to the consistency of butter. Hmm. My goodness, that sounds great. You should have used it. We, we couldn't. You'd have used yours. Uh, honestly, Julian, we didn't have one. <laughs> but you must have done. And Baldwin must have given it to you. Well, Baldwin was one of yours. Yes, but then you turned him. Yes, but then you turned him back. Yes, but then you turned him back from being turned back. No, we left him as he was. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, I have it written down. Uh, let me see. Um... Uh, yes, here we are. Baldwin was ours, then yours, then ours again, but pretending to be yours. Oh. Uh. Oh. I... Forgot he was only pretending. Yes. So we could have used the Thompson Pulse at any time, without retaliation. Yes. When did you develop it? 1957. <laughs> ah. That would have been a much shorter game. Yes. <laughs> oh, dear. I wish I hadn't come now. <laughs> You here for a pampering? That's right, yeah. A whole pamper session. Lovely. We all need a pamper from time to time, don't we? Oh, I love a pamper. I got here at ten and I'm being pampered more or less relentlessly until lunch. Lovely. But you should do what I do. I come for a pampering day. Lovely. It is lovely. It's basically a whole day of being pampered. You're pampered in the morning, pampered in the afternoon, then there's a short break from the pampering for dinner, then it's pamper, pamper, pamper all evening till bed. <laughs> I'm on a pampering weekend. <laughs> lovely. It is lovely. There's three days of pure pamperment with teams of dedicated pampers working in relay, so there's never a moment when the pampering abates. From when the first slice of toast is pampered into your mouth until you're finally pampered into bed, where a special pampering duvet from Japan actually pampers you as you sleep. Lovely. Well, I'm in the perpetual pamperment programme. Lovely. Yeah, unlimited pampering sessions in the pamper parlour, pampering swims in the pamper pool, where trained aqua pamperers swim alongside me for feeding me truffles, and then afterwards pat me dry with a little baby duckling. <laughs> and pampering meals of pamplemousse and pampas grass, all specially flown in from Pamplona. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but frankly, I owe it to myself. After all, I am a very special person. No, really, you're kidding me. No, I am. Very special. I'm a very special person too. <laughs> no. And me? No. no. Yes. Next thing, I suppose, you'll be telling us you're a special person as well. Well, let me just put it like this. I'm so very special, in every special way. I'll get specialer and specialer each special, special day. <laughs> and I know that's true, cos I've got it on a cup. Lovely! <laughs> My name is Kath, and I run the penguin pool. And heaven 
knows as jobs go, I know mine is pretty cool. But I gather Joe from Meerkats has had a little moan. And I thought I might just pipe up with a comment of my own. If you think that penguin's poorly and you want an explanation, please read the bloody sign before you make your accusation. That penguin's not neglected, it is molting. <laughs> that penguin's not neglected, it is molting. It's the way that he's made, he is perfectly fine. Which you'd know, by the way, had you looked at the sign. <laughs> free food and free accommodation, a constant stream of admiration. His standard of living is quite a lot better than mine. <laughs> That penguin's not neglected, it is molting. That penguin's not neglected, it is molting. I promise you guys, we watch out for them here. He's on top of the world, you have nothing to fear. Let me give you one good reason. They molt just after mating season. So frankly, he's happier now than he's been all year. <laughs> That penguin's not neglected, it is molting. He can't help that halfway through he looks revolting. <laughs> Once upon a time, two rascally tailors tricked a mighty emperor into thinking they could spin cloth so finely it was invisible to fools. When he paraded naked before his people, a little boy called out. <laughs> The emperor's got no clothes. And all the people realised... And I can see his winking. <laughs> and all the people realised what a foolish emperor they had and laughed long and loud at him and his winky. <laughs> but what happened after that? Well, the little boy grew up to believe that he alone could see through the follies and pretensions that befuddled ordinary people and made an excellent living as a columnist for the spectator. <laughs> but what became of the emperor? <laughs> Bow in the presence of his imperial majesty, the emperor. Can you see my winky? Whose winky, as ever, is entirely concealed from view. Hello, I'm the emperor. Just so you know, I'm wearing a thong, then white fronts, with the wide sewn up, then briefs, then boxes, then long johns, then trousers, and a kilt, then a robe. And, of course, I'm in this box, so I see. <laughs> my head poking out the top. <clears throat> You're most impressive. So you definitely can't see my winky? No. God, I'm hot. <laughs> what do you two want? We are the famous inventing brothers, Alexander and Graham Bell, Your Highness. And we come to demonstrate our new invention. Alexander. Thank you, Graham. <laughs> OK, picture the scene. You want to speak to someone, but they're not there. What do you do? Uh, I go out on the balcony and shout. Yeah, and that's a good workaround. But our invention revolutionises the world of that. Observe this instrument. By speaking into it like so, you can be heard across many miles. Graham. Thank you, Alex. And <laughs> by holding it to the ear, you can hear the voice of the other person. Oh, yes. And where are the tubes down which the sound travels? Well, no such tubes exist, sire. The sound travels by means of waves through the air. Waves, eh? And where are they, these waves? Let me see them. They're invisible. Ah, I knew it! Guards, seize them! <laughs> What's going on? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, sod off! <laughs> I know all about you and your invisible waves. I adopt this system and announce it to the people, and then after a bit, a little boy shouts, Ha ha, the emperor has no waves, and everyone laughs at my winky. What? <laughs> you heard. Now get out. 
If life has taught me anything, it's that unlikely sounding invisible things don't exist. <laughs> and so the emperor drove the inventors from his palace, but they soon got a start-up loan from a building society and the telephone swept the land. And so when the emperor came out onto his balcony for a yell with a friend, a little boy beheld him and cried out, Ha ha, the emperor's got no telephone. Oh, bloody hell. And I can see his winking. Ah! <laughs> Now, the little boy on this occasion was lying about seeing the Imperial Winky, but even so, the Emperor once again realised the error of his ways. Right! So, unlikely-sounding invisible things do exist now. Fine, I believe in them all. Ah, then perhaps, Your Highness, you would like to hear about the mystic power of astrology. Certainly I would. And so... Ha-ha, the Emperor has no basis for his belief system. Ah! <laughs> right! Sire, we have discovered the power of magnetism. No, can't see it, don't believe in it. And so... Ha-ha, the Emperor has no compasses. Ah! Fine! Uh, sire, can I talk to you about Scientology? Sounds good. And so... Ha-ha, the Emperor... But on that occasion, the little boy's lawyers strongly... <laughs> ...advised him against finishing his taunt. And so it went on over the years until eventually the Emperor learned his last and most difficult lesson. My lord, I am a doctor and I've discovered an invisible way to cure all ailments. Very well. For I am an older and wiser Emperor now. And if there's two things life has taught me, it's that sometimes unlikely-sounding invisible things don't exist, and sometimes they do. <laughs> and there's no easy way to tell them apart. So pop your new theory in a double-blind peer-reviewed trial and we'll talk in six months. Oh, all right. In the meantime, your doctor, you say? Yes. Could you have a look at my winky? <laughs> my name is Tom and I'm the keeper of GNU's. And frankly, when you come here, you can say just what you choose. You can say, ooh, aren't they ugly? You can say, ooh, aren't they big? You can point out that their horns look like a 1950s wig. <laughs> Though, of course, it bores me rigid. I can stand the repetition. Be as boring as you like, at least on one condition. Don't press the button on the light blue bollard. Don't press the button on the light blue bollard It's a three-minute speech by a gnu named Joyce Played by an actress doing a humorous voice First time, it's just a bit annoying The millionth time, it's soul-destroying You can walk away, but I don't have the choice Don't press the button on the light blue bollard don't press the button on the light blue bollard I know it by heart and I hate that I do Life isn't easy when you're a lady gnu If I hear that chirpy higher One more time I may set fire at least to the bollard and maybe to the actress too So don't press the button on the light blue bollard or it might be the night I decide to ignite Sue Paula. Well, since you ask me for a swashbuckling story of terror on the high seas, I believe I can oblige you. It all began when a distant uncle of mine died and left me a curious bequest. It was a scroll of parchment. 
And when I unrolled it, it was a map. It was also a map before I unrolled it. <laughs> I didn't know that then. <laughs> My uncle had been a mysterious, rugged old cove, and so it was no surprise to discover that the map was of a mysterious, rugged old cove. <laughs> But what captivated my imagination was the title it bore. Treasure Island. Treasure Island. At last, somewhere to bury all of my treasure. <laughs> you see, I was possessed at this period of my life with a great quantity of treasure. I was working at a top-secret British research station in the West Indies, dealing in the then primitive science of crossbreeding and genetics. Essentially, it was a tropical island containing a zoo and a telegraph office. Every so often, a cable would arrive from Whitehall bearing an official inquiry, such as, what do you get if you cross a sheep and a kangaroo? <laughs> I would go to the zoo, place the two creatures named in our honeymoon quarters, and in due season telegraph back the answer. In this case, a hideous abomination against God and man, which, due to the quirks of hereditary, isn't wool-bearing and can't jump. <laughs> Experiments ended so badly. And the result of one such was my dear pet Polly, my faithful croco pie. <laughs> of the difficulty attendant upon the conception of a cross between crocodile and magpie, you may readily conceive. And if you do readily conceive it, you are one up on Polly's mother. <laughs> the procedure took many months and many, many magpies. <laughs> but love will find a way, and eventually. Eventually, the combination of an unusually docile crocodile and a quite heroically determined magpie <laughs> brought about the happy arrival of my beloved pet, a delightful, feathery, scaly, bright-eyed, massive reptilian bird, <laughs> whoever and anon would delight me with her cries of... Polly wants a bison! <laughs> The combination of her father's sharp eye for a glistening bauble and her mother's mighty crocodilian jaws made her an accomplished little thief and murderer. <laughs> and barely a day would pass without her flying in through my bedroom window, open or not, <laughs> with a diamond ring or sapphire anklet, often regrettably, along with the attendant limb. <laughs> and so it was that Polly accompanied me as we set off to the island's docks in search of a trustworthy ship's master and crew. The first fellow we saw was in a low tavern by the name of the Pirate's Rest, where he was having a rest. <laughs> what is your name, honest fellow, quoth I? They call me Captain Groat. Said he. If they live long enough. Well, look here, I said. I have a vast amount of treasure I want to take to an island and lead there. Will you come with me as captain of the Merry Mollusk? The good fellow said he would. And the next day he introduced me to his crew. We set sail at once, and I delighted the crew by showing them the jewel in my collection of jewels. A dazzling diamond the size of two pigeon's eggs, or, or half a goose egg, or an egg. <laughs> the men were childishly delighted by it and passed it round eagerly amongst themselves, although, to my annoyance, one of them mislaid it almost immediately. <laughs> that night, I was asleep in my cabin when Polly woke me with an unusual squawk. <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't know where she picks up these expressions, I said to Bloodguts Labelle, who was in the cabin as well, I noticed, <laughs> with his cutlass. Well, he said, eyeing Polly warily. I'll be off. Yeah, but what did you want? Well, I just thought I'd bring you a uh, bedtime cutlass. Oh. 
<laughs> How kind. Oh, it's no trouble. I was having one myself. I just saw... Oh, lovely. Uh, I'm sorry, forgive a, a landlubber. <laughs> but what does one do with it? Oh, well, it's uh, just an old pirate tradition. When you're really happy and content about everything, to get a cutlass and give it a bit of a celebratory... Waggle about. <laughs> but you're busy, so... No, 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 not at all. We must keep these old traditions of sea alive, mustn't we? Hand it over. So, uh, what, you just swish it about, do you? Like oh, 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 my dear chap, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, of course, worse things happen at sea, and this was one of them. I'm bound to say Captain Grote took the loss of his first mate hard, as he did the next night when Cutthroat Jake was... Presumably cleaning my porthole from the outside, just as I happened to fling it open, casting him to the sharks. <laughs> and so it was that when we finally reached Treasure Island, the captain and I were the only men aboard. Glumly we set off, me carrying all the treasure, and Captain Grote carrying all the weapons to keep me safe with. <laughs> Together, we dug a hole to bury it in, and then the captain turned to me, and with a strangely glittering eye, he said, Well, my old Marlin Spike... You're on the lee shore now, me fine fellow. Too much he may have been for poor old Bill Lye and for cutthroat Jake too. Him has never heard a fly in his life. Just loads and loads of people. <laughs> but you ain't cut of a cloth to blindside Captain Grope, my boy. I'll come and eat like a yanyard to a jib boom and he may lay to that. Pray to him as made ye, for Captain Grote is about to send ye to your long home. Well, this was excellent news. <laughs> Truth to tell, I hadn't followed all of it, but the last bit was clear enough, and my long home was exactly where I wanted to be sent to. And if that was not enough to set me completely at my ease, Captain Grote now demonstrated how happy and content he was in the traditional pirate way by unsheathing his cutlass and giving it a bit of a celebratory waggle about. Oh! He added. And doubt not I shall find a rare good home for this little beauty. And so saying, he flipped up his eye patch. And if I had thought his first eye was strangely glittering, it was as nothing to this one, which was a diamond. <laughs> My diamond. Suddenly, all was clear. The lovable old salt had found it whilst clearing up and had chosen this happy moment to surprise me with it. Hooray, said I, as Captain Grote raised his cutlass high above his head with joy. <laughs> At this point, things took a turn for the worse. <laughs> for as the diamonds twinkled in the sun, I heard from the treetops a familiar cry. Polly wants a shiny! Polly wants a shiny! And with that, before I could stop her, my faithful but slightly killy croco-pie <laughs> swooped down and, as was her wont, bit off the limb holding the jewel. In this case, the head. <laughs> well, there's little more of my sad story left to tell. There, on that desolate island, I buried that good man and loyal friend, Captain Grote, who had given his life to amuse me with a practical joke. As was the tradition of these simple sailor folk, I buried him with some of his most prized possessions. His telescope, his cutlass, and his head. <laughs> oh, and I buried his head with the diamond still in it, partly as a measure of my respect and partly because it was right in his eye socket. I mean, it was icky. <laughs> Good night. Fenimore's Souvenir Program was written by and starred John Fenimore with Simon Kane, Harry Quinlan and Laurie Lewin. The original music was by Susanna Pierce and the producer was Ed Morrish. I can see your wind. No, you can't. Yeah, you can, John. John, you can. Sorry.